We're back. Slightly delayed, but it'll have been worth it. For me, at least. This is episode 15 of Sound and Strain with Ryan Cano, and I am indeed your host, Ryan Cano. Now let's get this show started. That was Velcro Wolf, you heard, to kickstart the episode. That snippet is from a song called It's Alive, which you can download for free right now on Bandcamp. What was it, like a week or so ago was Bandcamp Friday, and if you're not aware of what that is or what that means, let me drop some knowledge on you. Bandcamp Fridays uh, is basically a day once a month where the company Bandcamp forgoes its usual fees and passes them directly to the bands. So that's a savings of 10% on physical goods and 15% on digital downloads. And depending on the amount you sell as an artist, those savings pass uh, onto you may be pretty significant. This, I think, was something they started early in the pandemic, uh, maybe slightly before, but I remember it kind of starting around the same time. Uh, so Bandcamp has doing been doing this for over a year, and although it is just one day a month, it is one of my favorite initiatives to help artists that has you know come up from a proprietor of recorded music. Uh, and uh, some of the best solutions really are the easiest solutions. The marketplace with the largest footprint of independent musicians and record labels gave back by simply not taking in the first place and, you know, for just one day a month. Those 12 days a year are a huge reservoir of goodwill and... It could be very uplifting to see more music partners make similar concessions to help its creators. I'd love to see, you know, a different day. Maybe one Saturday a month, Apple Music gives a percentage cut of their sales right back to the artists. Uh, maybe people don't know, but digital retailers like Apple Music uh, take 30% uh, from your sales on digital downloads. Uh, I think they take. 30% from subscription fees too, although I'm not uh, 100% certain on that off the top of my head. Um, either way, they take a cut that at a minimum is, you know, two times what Bandcamp takes. So the impact on artists would be at least twice as impactful as Bandcamp Day potentially. It would also deliver, just like I said, a ton of goodwill, a reservoir of goodwill, you know, to an industry that has mostly received bad news for the last year. Uh, and here's another thing. Uh, this is some free game for all you guys out there. Um, if you're not seeing returns on your Bandcamp Day experience as an artist, then you need to put in some work to drive people to your page so you can earn some extra sales. One of the main reasons no one is buying your album is that you're not asking people to. Your fans, your supporters want to know how they can support you. And when you give a direct request to them telling your fans how to support you, watch and see how they follow suit. This is the reason you see people on YouTube asking you to subscribe to their videos. People would likely never do that without the ask. So ask your fans of your music, whether on Facebook or Twitter or your email list, to go buy your album. 
to go buy your merchandise, to buy that new t-shirt design. Tell them what you'll even do with those sales. Maybe you're gonna go into the studio and this will help you record. Maybe this will help finance going on tour in the fall, et cetera, et cetera. You can, you can just tell people what the end result's gonna be when they spend 20 bucks on a t-shirt with you. When you tell people to support you, you're basically giving them permission to take an extra supportive step in your direction. And don't expect people to just know how they need to support you, especially within music. Music has changed so much, uh, you know, as much as technology has gone, you know, from the beeper into, you know, what the cell phone is now, which is a computer in your pocket. And, you know, depending on your age group, what you think supports musicians varies greatly. Uh, some ideas are definitely stale and washed and just bygone products of years past. Some people know what to do, but don't know you need their support. And listen, no worries. When you ask your fans to purchase some merchandise to buy a vinyl record, you are giving permission to all kinds of people uh, in all kinds of backgrounds, whether they are knowledgeable about the music industry or not. You are basically telling them, this is what supports me. And when is as direct as that people will follow suit do this ask your fans to buy an album ask your fans to buy your t-shirts see what happens see where it goes i'm going to take my own advice here and tell you to subscribe to sound and strain with ryan cano and listen it's me ryan cano if you didn't know <laughs> uh and i would love for you to subscribe to this show if you smash that subscribe or follow button just or you can just simply press it you don't have to smash it um i'd love to have you on board with the show in an official way and this definitely it undoubtedly helps me uh you know helps other people find the show and it helps hit that algorithm and recommend people uh to things you know that they may like the more people to subscribe the more that sort of gets recommended and you know when you subscribe you'll be notified first about when a new episode drops uh you know on the platform that you're listening to so there's benefits to this because as you know the show is kind of infrequent in terms of schedules so hit that follow or subscribe button and you can make sure that you'll end up catching every single episode of sound and strain with ryan cano okay we all set good to go thank you for doing that i really appreciate the follow and subscribing of the podcast uh, i truly do love to look at all the statistics of where people are listening to the show uh, i currently use podbean um, at least for you know the first year of doing this maybe i'll switch to something else i don't know um, but they give you a, a breakdown globally by country and in the usa you can get you know as granular as you know who is listening by the state it's pretty cool uh, shout out to new zealand Australia, Italy, Russia, Germany, France, Canada, Mexico, Spain. It's it's this show has kind of gone all over the world. Welcome to Sound and Strain, y'all. You are listening to me, Ryan Cano, owner of the management and concert production company The Loyalty Firm in Austin, Texas. I was once the music director and talent buyer for the Pecan Street Festival which is how a lot of people know me as well. Former co-owner of the live music venue, Holy Mountain. I also interned for the entertainment lawyer, Buck McKinney. So I know a little bit about a little bit, and this is a podcast that's going to tell you about the freshest sounds of music out there and the freshest strains of cannabis. Hope you have a gigantic bowl packed as we approach our first break here in a moment. Remember, 
please tell a friend to tell a friend about this show. So I, I, may, I may as well just segue into strain of the week. What have you guys been smoking lately? I haven't asked for this in a while, but please write me at the show. I want to know what you're smoking. Email Sound and Strain with Ryan Cano at soundandstrain at gmail.com. Sound and Strain as all one word, just like you see it on our socials. Write us and let us know what you're packing your bong with. The strain of the week is... Moby Dick. Yep, Moby Dick. This strain is named after the fictional figure from the book, not a strain based on electronic artist Moby's Dick. Uh, so Moby Dick is a sativa strain made by crossing the White Widow strain with haze. Moby Dick has a sweet citrus taste with hints of vanilla and eucalyptus. Plus, this THC concentration is rather high. It averages 20% plus. So this is a pretty potent strain. Uh, Moby Dick delivers strong euphoria and gives spacey, happy, and slightly psychedelic sensations, you know, after, you know, after a bowl. Some smokers feel creative and focused when they smoke Moby Dick. The strong cerebral, the strong cerebral, why am I having a hard time saying that? The strong cerebral effects begin to diminish after about an hour, but the residual effects can last another two hours or so. These effects are coupled with pleasant body numbing sensations. If you have an autoimmune illness that can cause a fuck ton of pain to your body, then you'll definitely like this for daytime use. This strain is definitely designed for medical use, but works just as well for the occasional recreational user who wants to de-stress and not get locked into the couch, as this strain is definitely more energizing than most sativas. Uh, the cerebral effects are often used to combat you know, symptoms of stress, anxiety, depression uh, patients that have lost their appetites you know like i do in a crohn's flare-up or whether it's due to you know chemotherapy or other reasons they often will choose this strain moby dick as an fyi the body high may ease mild aches and pains but it is not strong enough to kind of combat severe pain uh, this is kind of more of a functional uh, painkiller i guess for you medicinal users out there growers uh, love this strain because it has a short flowering period. It's resistant to mold and provides a high yield. I mean, who doesn't love that? Uh, I honestly just can tell you, I don't know shit about growing good, you know, good cannabis. So I don't really talk about it on that level much, but I do find it interesting and will try to include more of that, uh, of those factoids with growing, uh, you know, indoors or outdoors and all that stuff. Just, um, you know, as a passing interest for everybody. Uh, anyhow, Moby Dick, you can grow this indoors, outdoors, um, but it's not recommended for amateur growers. Inside, you know, the strain flowers for around 10 weeks and requires an electrical uh, conductivity level between 1.5 and 2, as well as 800 watts per square meter. Growers are also cautioned to keep the pH levels below 6.5, as that can affect your yield. Um, outside, the strain needs you know little care, and under optimal uh, conditions, it may produce exceptionally high yields. <laughs> high yields. Uh, so yeah, keep your energy up. Uh, help yourself de-stress and feel euphoria by grabbing yourself an ounce of Moby Dick from your nearest dispensary. Nice. 
All right, let's take a quick music break. Grab your pipe, spark that bowl, and enjoy these sounds.
You just heard the lead single, Don't, from our friends Swallow the Rat. I love the aggression in that song. Uh, it feels mean, almost. The beat is just, you know, pushing the song. It's, uh, you know, writing on the top part, you know, of the beat on the top part of that metronome. And, you know, the guitars are kind of slightly laid back on the beat. So there's this weird, you know, tension that's being built between this, uh, you know, before the guitar work kind of, you know, erupts during the course. And the shouty vocals just really, you know, really push that post-punk feel you know, all the way through. Uh, the very prolific Swallow the Rat are releasing a new EP. And it's a split EP with New York City's uh, band Clone. New Zealand's Swallow the Rat and New York City's Clone shared a stage uh, last year in Queens, New York City on what was perhaps the last day before, you know, everybody shut down for COVID. Uh, a mutual appreciation society was formed between the two bands over drinks uh, later after they performed. They had plans to share stages again, you know, on tour again, like in New Orleans. And then they were going to share a stage, you know, at a party or a music show uh, at South by Southwest in Austin. Of course, you know, pandemic put all this shit to rest, but the bands kept, you know, talking and both recently recorded EPs. So a plan was kind of hatched to put together a split 12 inch, you know, with songs from both bands, four tunes a piece. Uh, and it's about the irony of memory recall, the loss of friends, you know, by their own hand, uh, frustrations of gender role, psyche, and the fear of looking back. Uh, dissonant, delayed guitars, martial drums abound, despite the oceans and continents separating the group. Uh, you know, this album is not out yet. I just read a little bit of kind of like the functional bio you will see on stores across the net. Uh, and the band has a basically a worldwide presale for this beautiful red vinyl they're about to put out. Uh, see-through red vinyl, I believe. I bought my copy in America from Rough Trade Records, but if you go to Swallow the Rat's Bandcamp page, they'll have links to help you get a copy in your country and, you know, region of origin. Uh, you know, that track you just heard is climbing up the charts in New Zealand on BFM. In fact, they are number two on the charts this week uh, at BFM, so here's hoping they can get to number one next week. A rock band with the number one song. Let's fucking go! Let's go, y'all. That was Swallow the Rat with Don't. So you may have noticed I took about a month off from making this show. Uh, I know sometimes people get worried when that happens, so I apologize. You know, please don't use this podcast as a way to check in on me because I am very active online otherwise. Uh, you can follow me at my music company, The Loyalty Firm, at The Loyalty Firm on Twitter or Instagram. You can also follow this podcast, Sound and Strain, on our socials, which is just Sound and Strain, one word. So if you need proof of life, uh, I guess that's one way. Uh, I want to do these episodes two times a month. You know, that's my goal uh, as it's all DIY mode right now. You know, sometimes I just miss that mark. Uh, it takes me four to five hours at least to sort of kind of think of the podcast episode, uh, write kind of a teleplay of notes uh, to talk about and how to structure the show and then research it and kind of write it out. Uh, it takes me about an hour or so to record, and then it takes like another four and a half to five hours of editing. Uh, taking out all of those unlistenable throat clearings, mess-ups, heavy breathing into the mic. Some of y'all love that kind of ASMR. 
stuff with all the mouth noises. Y'all just love that shit. Um, I don't. I hate that shit. Uh, for me, it's like unlistenable to me and kind of a personal hellscape. Uh, what you just listened to right there, I will probably fast forward anytime I ever listen to this episode ever again. Like I, I uh, It's like the nails on the chalkboard sort of thing for my ears. Uh, anyways, unlistenable to me and kind of like hell. So naturally, I put myself in a position to hear myself do all of that shit, and I get to hear it right in my goddamn ears for me to edit uh, as I do these podcasts. So uh, anyhow, these these little things you listen to take a whole lot more work, uh, you know, than I had time recently. Uh, so what have I been doing this past month? A lot of things sort of happened. I definitely uh, got the vaccine twice already and got the Dolly Parton one. Feel great. That's all I got to say about that. Uh, also had a semi-exciting life change of sorts. I started at the beginning of March a new contract job working for one of the bigger uh, music companies out there. It's uh, very much and damn near entry-level position, to be honest, uh, even though it requires a bit of background in the music industry and sort of uh, metadata knowledge. But it's very exciting in that I'm working with subject matter that I love, which is music. And even though when certain job functions don't really speak to me, uh, the end product kind of always does. Uh, it's, it's extremely motivating to be able to help you know, musicians. So I've been learning a lot getting mentally exhausted and basically not wanting to be near a computer after work. Uh, That job is very much a nose in your computer heavy sort of workflow and at the end of the work week the last thing I have wanted to do is just be on a computer for leisure. Uh, I've also been so heavy in the computer and typing and holding my body posture in terrible ways that I've been getting some like carpal tunnel feelings. Uh, You know just repetitive motion soreness and shooting pains you know kind of in my arms like major pain from like my neck to the middle of my palm uh it almost feels like i could shoot lasers out my palm like some sort of a superhero uh some of the pain is just also from a prior injury um as i have three herniated discs in my neck uh yeah so in addition to all my autoimmune health issues i still have normal wear and tear like any other human being yeah i've had a facet joint injections several times last year as well as a few Demerol steroid pain shots. I actually got one of those last week. Uh, So hopefully that pain part goes away soon and you know then I just merely have to overcome computer fatigue. Eye strain, uh, carpal tunnel, all that physical shit is just real and was dragging me down. So I just stayed away from the computer almost all of March. Um, And also I kept having this phrase sort of like play back in my head but Uh, Have you ever heard the phrase, make your main thing the main thing? Um, I've had that in the back of my mind, I don't know, since I started the new job. My artists at the loyalty firm are mostly in album wrap-up mode. So, you know, as I sort of plan that rollout and kind of figure out the next steps for everybody, my main thing really was the new job I was starting, uh, the new contract job. So I wanted to keep my focus laser sharp and really didn't do much, you know, else work-wise this past month, uh, really other than that. Almost all of this minimizing of distractions is really about taking care of me. Self-care, if you will. What happens with me a lot is when I start something new and, uh, you know, intense and requires me to give a lot of myself to, uh, is that someone deep in my past comes calling 
for something. I don't know why that happens like that. It just sort of does. And, and it's always something that requires uh, not just a little bit of my time, like a lot of my time, my ability to work for someone else. And it, it, it like typically requires me not being paid jack shit in the ask. So uh, sometimes it's just someone from my past, you know, looking to pollinate their trauma all over my goodwill. Uh, and so I just made sure not to get sucked into any of that, uh, you know, in, this time. It's a bit easier in pandemic times for sure, as we've all sort of lost contact and connections with certain people. So yeah, I just sort of minimized uh, distractions with people, especially as that people came calling and asking for stuff. And, and it happened. Um these hard boundaries that you got to set sometimes. I've also been fighting uh, against myself. You know, I think anybody that feels like they've led themselves to certain, you know, most of their lives, you have this internal dialogue going on. Uh, and I occasionally have this, um, maybe more often than I realize, but I just uh, need to squash out that imposter syndrome voice that can kind of take over my brain sometimes. You know, it's just sort of a crippling self-doubt. When I'm, I'm kind of facing a lot when I'm trying to change habits, you know, work behaviors, sleep patterns, and, you know, people's demands on my time. Even though this contract work is very beginner level and pretty far removed from the artists themselves, I still remain ultimately excited about it. One of my goals was to work for a major, you know, music corporation. It's, you know, the self-starter, the entrepreneur who started from nothing that's always wanted me to rise up to that level to show that I got the worth of a Fortune 100 company. And I kind of achieved that with the contract goal. I want to get to the parent company, but... You know, I feel like halfway there. So I said yes to this and I'm seeing where it goes. You know, you buy the ticket, you take the ride. And many great stories and accomplishments in life just come from seeing where something will take you. In fact, you know what? It's story time as I want to tell you a personal music industry story about just seeing where it goes and what will happen. Go ahead and spark that joint. Let's dive into that story. Those of you who have lived in Austin for like the last 8 to 10 years or so probably remember a hot dog place called Frank's. Basically, the slogan was Frank's, hot dogs, and cold beer. A uh, pretty simplistic concept with some pretty good food. Uh, they had a location in downtown Austin for a while, which was on Colorado Street between 4th and 5th. Rare for that area is to have anything in the affordable range of food, so the place was fairly busy uh, during dinner service on those nights when I would be there. Uh, on Thursday, Friday, and Saturdays, they would remove the seats on the ground floor to allow live music to enter the space. It was kind of a strange transition, to be honest. The uh, uh, you know, I think in other cities that are not Austin, doing something like that is really not that strange or different. But I think, uh, you know, partially because of the side of town we were on, plus that, you know, this is Austin and people kind of expect the music venue to be separated from like a full sit down restaurant. Anyhow, uh, my friends uh, Glenn and Jenna Wedgwood booked the music there at Frank's uh, with me working with Glenn most of the time um, at Frank's. How I started there wasn't some sort of like glamorous story in fact it wasn't like the first couple years of the loyalty firm experience i went and worked there but like i was deep into my music industry career uh so 
a bit of humbling of the self, but you know how this all happened was simply a post on Facebook. I saw Glenn posted that he needed a door guy or a door, like a door person to work shows a uh, few times a week, and someone quit or something, and you know he was in a bind. He needed help. I was at home, somewhat recently single and with a lot of free time on my hands. All of a sudden, plus I had like a credit card bill that I just was fucking annoyed with and wanted to pay off at the time. So I basically volunteered and was able to fill in somewhat fast. You know, I met some great people. Uh, you know, there's another door guy uh, named Sean there who's a really cool experimental artist. He was a really cool person to work with. Ate some good food. You know, watched a ton of music that. Austin had to offer and it was a good training tool for me as I was basically about a year or so away from diving super heavy into you know producing shows around the Austin area beforehand I was really just sort of what I would call dabbling in it and also building shows around bands I managed so we could put them in positions to win essentially yeah it was a great you know training tool uh, for me as about how to like kind of attack the scene. So I basically took mental notes of who could actually draw a crowd, uh, who was talented beyond the concerns of a crowd, what was working and not working in a space or what crowds were sort of responding to. It really, really served me in knowing how to build shows outside the main genres of music that I was listening to as a normie fan. And I think that's something that's how a lot of concert producers or promoters enter the music scene. They really enter it with the music that they're fans of first. And, you know, it takes a real professional to start building shows around music that they may not even listen to on a casual basis. Um, and I think Working Door was a big process of that, seeing how that uh, all played out. So anyway, how, uh, yeah, I told Glenn that I wanted to work at the door. Uh, and, you know, it was kind of a strange time to work door at Frank's. Um, at first when I was there, it was pretty busy and going well, but then all of a sudden business was not going as well as they needed to, uh, from what I could tell from the outside looking in. I, not, I didn't see numbers or anything, but uh, you know, uh, shows were kind of drawing less people than before, and nightlife on that side of town started to look a little more upscale as opposed to uh, the usual Austin kind of dive bar casualness that I think most of us were used to. And I'm going to assume this is uh, likely because like the rent and the places, uh, these commercial places were being charged a ton. So if you have super high rent, you probably are going to offer an upscale, costly experience so you can come close to making a profit while you're trying to pay that rent. Uh, so restaurants in the area were starting to look more like steakhouses, sushi, you know, higher end, uh, stuff like that. Having an affordable option like Frank's though was kind of great in theory. You know, you offer something different uh, and listen, they were busy for a while, but then what a part of what happened with the slowdown was major construction happened on Colorado. They were upgrading downtown's, I think, sewer lines, uh, which makes sense because now there's a ton of residential uh, properties there. But yeah, they were upgrading all that stuff. So like the road was fucked up. Like, I mean, you couldn't drive on it. Like, so no one was really, you know, parking or kind of passing by the area. Uh, they definitely weren't you know, tourists going, oh, look at that place. So they missed out on all of that. Uh, so business was slowing down, you know, at that location and music, you know, I think eventually stopped being programmed there. Uh, and then later on at that, that location was just shuttered. In working that door though, I was able to be fresh on someone's mind. 
you know, that someone was Jenna Wedgwood, who I mentioned earlier was at the time not only the head of accounting, but also the music director and talent buyer for the Pecan Street Festival. I remember about a year before it happened uh, that Jenna was burnt out and she mentioned would I be interested in having my name offered up as a potential replacement uh, for her as a music uh, director. And listen, I, w- I was honored and naturally said yes. And nothing happened for a year. Maybe it wasn't as long as that. Maybe it was just half a year. But nothing happened for a while. You know, I think what happened is they kind of probably talked her back into the fold. But eventually, uh, you know, Jenna was ready to move on to something else. Uh, So she recommended me and someone else. I have no idea who that someone else is. I actually interviewed for the Pecan Street Festival over the the phone. And I talked with the exec producer, uh, Luis, and producer, Chris, and... A funny wrinkle to the story is uh, a day or so after I interviewed uh, for the music director position, I I got a missed call from Luis, but I got a voicemail basically just saying, you know, unfortunately, uh, I did not get the job and that they'd be handling uh, booking in-house, which I think really meant that Luis and Chris would probably just handle the booking. Like, all right, you know, whatever, you know. So what happened, though, is obviously something weird because you know i became the music director talent buyer uh what happened is i think i don't know for sure but i think a sponsorship person left the festival uh which meant that Luis and chris needed to absorb that hit by either taking over sponsorships for the fest or hiring someone asap and let me tell you at the time they interviewed me it was already mid-june and you've got a festival to deliver by the end of september so There might have been a little bit of panic mode there, I believe. Um, They were kind of fucked. So about one or two days after getting rejected, um, I was called back and asked if I'd be willing to take on the role. You know, let me admit to you, uh, to y'all, you know, my ego was a bit bruised from being passed over the first time. There was a part of me that wanted to be like, fuck that, man. Uh, Because I hate that shit. I just hate that feeling. You know, almost everything I've accomplished in the music industry like or in life was because, you know, right before that accomplishment, someone doubted me. Um, so I've had to overcome, you know, in this scenario, my ego, overcome my self-doubt. And in this situation, I said yes. And at that moment, I became the music director and talent buyer for the Pecan Street Festival. And it is the longest running festival in Austin, Texas. Listen, I was able to program music I thought was best for the fest. They allowed me a lot of room to operate that how I saw fit. And I was able to grow the attendance, you know, of that festival from a strong lower 80,000 to over 210,000 attendees over a weekend. Um, the festival is twice a year and it's it's one weekend in spring, one weekend in fall. Uh, you know, when I left the festival back in January 2019, uh, the Pecan Street Festival was the largest arts and crafts uh, festival of its kind in North America. That's where it ended up. So just adding, you know, modern twists and curiosities to a heritage festival allowed the fest to grow beyond, you know, its humble vision. And the festival grew up with the city. In return, the city came out to play. Now, I mentioned this story because I never get to become the music director and talent buyer for a festival, you know, like the Pecan Street Festival if I wasn't working that fucking door at Frank's for Glenn and Jenna. So yeah, just seeing a Facebook post from a friend needing help, me being bored and in debt, and deciding to work a low stakes doorman production job led to the most visible and bankable of accomplishments on my resume. If I am not working door, I doubt I get the thought 
I get thought of as a person to be recommended to the festival and to the board of directors. So, you know, overcoming the ego to just say yes about something uh, is a big part of this. I said yes to working the door. I had 10 years of music industry experience. I've produced shows. I've never worked the door before. Yet, here I am saying yes, just seeing where it'll go. I decided to work the door. I just figured I could make a few bucks, see some music. And it led straight to me running every musical aspect of the Pecan Street Festival for five years and nine fests. I mean, this never happens if I didn't just get over myself and work door at a venue despite my experience. And listen, now I'm at like 16 years of experience at the loyalty firm. But again, you know, who knows where I would be and what I'd be doing if I hadn't put my pride to the side and said yes. Listen, Pecan Street Fest was a huge deal. I finally got to curate and produce music and it wasn't my money that I had to put on the line. I finally had a budget. I was a salaried employee. This was, it's crazy. So that's the thing, uh, you know, about life and, and saying yes to stuff in general is that not everything is going to present itself to you as the final form of experience that you're going to get from it. Frank's was really neat. I'd worked the door, I'd handled the guest list, and then at the end of the night, you'd settle up with the bands. You know, it was basically a hybrid door guy production manager job. And within eight months or so of doing that, you know, I was chatting with Luis and Chris at the Pecan Street Fest. Uh, you know, so I want you to think about, you know, your opportunities. What opportunities out there are you denying yourself? Because you tell yourself you're too good for that. Or you just tell yourself no. If there's something that seems cool and fun to do, uh, but maybe is beneath you or beneath your experience, I want you to go ahead and say yes to it. If you got the time, take the journey. You know, buy the ticket, take the ride, see where it goes. Life is a journey and it's the most fun paths on that journey are the ones you trailblaze for yourself. I'm saying yes for that contract music job. I'm seeing where it goes. That's it for this week. I uh, hope you enjoyed story time. You know, life's weird, man. You know, where you end up is never quite where you, you know, plan. What stories do you guys have out there where you said yes to something where you were hesitant about and now your life is all the better for it? Go ahead and write me at the show and let me know. I'm curious. Maybe I'll read your email on the air. In fact, uh, I kind of think we're overdue for our listener questions episode to be read on the show. So, you know, put those in or better yet, uh, leave a question for me as a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. So as we're wrapping up episode 15 of Sound and Strain, uh, we're going to be doing it with the song from New York City's Clone. The lead single from Clone off the split EP they are doing with Swallow the Rat is Speak Memory. Clone features LG Galleon from Deadleaf Echo, which is another really great band. Um, I've interacted a few times over the years with LG, you know, typically around South by Southwest, and he's just been always been a cool person to, uh, you know, kind of interact with. Anyways, uh, Clone's lead single, Speak Memory, comes from a different point of view uh, from Swallow the Rat as it relates, you know, to Shoegaze and Post Punk. You know, Clone's song, uh, Shimmers, the guitar work, you know, it feels like floating. You got notes echoing back to you from a delay while endearing breathy, breathy vocals kind of carry you through the song. It's a real good contrast within the same uh, scope and vision of a genre. That's why I kind of like this split together. It's like Swallow the Rat are operating from a post-punk shoegaze perspective, and it comes from a different point of view than Clone. They work really well together, and it makes a really good listening experience. So again, I implore you guys out there to go buy that red vinyl. You can get it from Rough Trade Records right now. I think it's like 18 bucks. It's super affordable. 
So go get that. Uh, thank you again for tuning in to episode 15 of Sound and Strain with Ryan Cano. I am indeed your host, Ryan Cano. Until next time, y'all, be kind to yourself, give yourself a break, and see you soon. Peace. Yeah, that's my cat.